1: Hello Trojan fans, welcome to another exciting edition of the Peristyle Podcast. This is a Trojan Blast recruiting version of the Peristyle Podcast. We love to get on our super recruiting guru, our national recruiting analyst for uscfootball.com, Gerard, not Gerald, Martinez, he's joining us on the line right now. What's up Gerard, how you doing?
2: I'm doing good. I'm doing real good.
1: Wow, really? That was, that was very deep. Like you really meant that you are doing good.
2: Yeah, I have to, I have to follow up something with the uh, Hello Trojan fans, so <laughs> I thought I'd uh, just say I'm doing real good. Love it. Okay,
1: well, there's some news. Uh, there's been a lot of news. There's always a lot of news.
2: There's, news. <laughs> there's some cool. news. But isn't there news? It would it's be USC news. football.
1: Yeah, it would be news if there was no news. But there exactly. is news. And if you people that were worried that there's oh where's there's no official visits this weekend and blah blah blah. Well there's still gonna be plenty of stuff going on. And uh the sanctions just make it even more I don't know if you want to say exciting or even more crazy just because there's fewer spots and just it's it's teetering. It's just who knows how it could end up awesome and a lot of people though, like Anthony who just wrote in this first question, Gerard. Are panicking. He says, I'm starting to panic over here. But he says, What's going on with Jason Hatcher decommitting? I did not, in capital letters, see that coming. With Kylie Fitz and Hatcher now gone, we only have one defensive end coming in by my count. How the heck did that happen? What are we doing here? And like I said, he said, I'm starting to panic. That's
2: Anthony. Great segue, by the way. <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, what happened with Jason Hatcher has yet to totally be determined. Uh, One of two things happened. Either he went back home, had a conversation with his mom, and his mom has wanted him to stay home. But I can say this, and I've known Jason Hatcher here for about a year, and I know a lot of people that have known him for a lot longer. Jason Hatcher is going to make his own decision. Jason Hatcher was not going to be influenced by his family Nobody was going to tell Jason Hatcher, you can't go to USC. So I don't necessarily buy that his mom has all of a sudden shut down USC and he can't go to USC because his mom says so. Um, The second option is that USC uh, decided that they need to go in another direction. And it was obviously very abrupt. It surprised quite a few people. It was one of those things that, you know, Coming from his official visit, he basically was talking about shutting down the rest of the recruiting process. He had two official visits still scheduled after his USC official visit. This weekend, he's been scheduled to go to Florida for quite a while. And February 2nd, he's scheduled to go to Louisville. So there was a lot of interest in that and talk about that, considering that the commits that he committed over the summer had basically agreed with USC and the USC coaching staff that they would not take official visits after USC's official visit. USC would be the final official visit they would take. They would give that time between the last official visit and signing day, uh, basically some margin for USC to figure out who was in and who wasn't. So that hasn't happened. Now, is that the cause for USC to possibly have nudged him out of the class? Maybe there was something else that happened on his official visit that decided to give USC maybe second thoughts on whether he was right for what they want to do right now. Obviously, you've got a new scheme with the 34 defense, um, running You know, probably more three-man fronts with Clancy Pendergast, just hired as a defensive coordinator. There's a lot of variables that come into play. Again, it hasn't really been determined. We're trying to kind of gather some context on a few different things. Obviously, the numbers are getting low. There's a lot of people that are – kind of, uh, you know, criticizing that, oh, USC, I can't believe they're only down to 12 or 13 commitments. Well, this is a class that's really only supposed to be 15. <laughs> so you have to really kind of remember what we're dealing with here and what the the actual status quo would be otherwise. It's 15. USC has more rides because they were able to roll some over uh, from previous classes. So, you know, in in reality... I don't see USC dipping below that 15 mark. Uh, a lot of people, as you know, Anthony said, is panicking. You know, they feel like, oh, man, you, know, you lose Jason Hatcher. There could be another decommitment coming around the corner. All of a sudden, you're going to be down to 12. You know, how is USC going to be able to get back up to that 17 number, which is the number that we predicted for quite a while now, which will be the total class or the allowed class signings? Um, there's still a number of guys on the board. It's going to be a gamble. It's going to be one of those things that towards you know, signing day, um, we're going to see if USC is able to you know, really close with the guys right now that they have left on the board who are uncommitted. So that's where it stands right now. You know What happened with Jason Hatcher, like I said, remains to be determined. Uh, maybe we'll have more of it in the war room and we can kind of give some context to what really happened.
1: Ooh, maybe a little war room teas. I like it. Um, okay, Tim. Next question. Uh, you mentioned the hiring of Clancy Pendergast, and he's saying Tim. He, Tim is saying, "Do you think that a Clancy? Do you think that the hiring of Clancy Pendergast will have any effect on the recruitment of Eddie Vanderdoos?"
2: Yes, it does. Eddie has a positive star, effect the on five his star recruitment because they had a relationship uh, previously when Clancy Pendergast was at Cal. So he's a guy that, you know, is comfortable with Pendergast. Um, You know, Vanderdos has known him for a while, and he understands defensively, schematically, what he wants to do. And I think the ironic thing, and we talked about this last week, and we've talked about it quite a few weeks, with Vanderdos, he was opposed to playing in a 34 and talked about that a lot, kind of throughout the recruiting process, and especially when he decommitted from USC. Yet you look at the teams that he's considering – and you've got um, Notre Dame, you've got Alabama, you've got UCLA there. All those teams run three-man fronts. And so uh, it's kind of ironic that now USC has kind of changed into that. They're running more of a 34-looking scheme. It's not the traditional 34. From what we gather, it's certainly not going to be a, a two-gap style defense. It's still going to be a one-gap style defense, but you are going to have um, a, a stand-up defensive end and three down linemen. So it's going to look like a 34, but it's maybe more of a hybrid concept um, of a 4-3. But it's still something that Vanderdoes, in terms of the schools that he's looking at, that's what he's leaning towards. So I think it is a positive effect on Vanderdoes, and I think because he's comfortable with Clancy Pendergast uh, that it definitely helps him. And he had a great visit this weekend, so I think USC is definitely back in the thick of things.
1: Okay. Uh, here's kind of a general question that a lot of people have, have talked about before. Um, there was a link to an article on the Peristyle the other day uh, talking about how SEC schools oversign. Could you explain how this works to their advantage? And if it's so advantageous, why does the NCAA allow them to do it? And that's from Mike.
2: The odd thing is is that there was a rule passed by the SEC years ago that teams couldn't oversign. And I'm not really familiar with the SEC rules and if they've been updated or they've been changed, but you had teams um, like Arkansas and Ole Miss uh, years ago signing 34, 35 guys. And what the advantage is to that is basically you sign as many guys that want to come and the guys that you feel are not necessarily up to snuff or the guys that can help you immediately, you gray shirt or you place them at junior colleges. And that's basically what they were doing. They were just taking a handful of guys and putting them at a junior college. So really your class was bigger, and you were able to pick at the end of the day, coming closer to you know, fall camp, who you wanted and who you didn't want from a greater pool of talent. So instead of looking at, okay, we have 25 guys here. These are 25 guys that we have to sign on signing day. We're going to have to turn away other guys, and they're going to go to other schools, and they're going to sign with those other schools on signing day. You're able to sign 35 guys and you get, you know, ten more guys that you basically can sit on for the rest of the, the spring, going into the summer. You can figure out, okay, this guy might not make it academically. Uh, this guy's not really developing, so we're going to go ahead and ask him to gray shirt, or maybe we're going to push him to a, to a junior college and have him be there for a couple years and physically develop and then bring him in. So you're really kind of piling uh, up players without necessarily having all those players on your roster so that's the advantage to it why sec schools seem to be doing it again after there was a rule pass i don't know i i'm not really hip on the rule changes in the sec and if there's been some type of development in that area
1: okay uh let's go to joe he says when the dust settles on signing day how do you think the pac-12 will compare to other bcs conferences Is the pac-12 closing the talent gap compared to the SEC?
2: Uh, Short answer is no. Um, I think that uh, when you're looking from top to bottom, no, no. And you're you're never going to see the talent gap really close that much just because of demographics and because of, you know, the SEC is in the South and you have much more – uh, football talent in the South. I mean, that's, that's, that's the truth. That's not, you know, I think disputed that, um, when you've got Atlanta and you've got Mobile and you've got Miami, you've got all these big cities in the South. You really, Los Angeles is it for the West coast. You know, you've got Los Angeles, you've got Denver to a lesser extent. Uh, Phoenix has definitely become better and better at producing talent. There's more people moving there. So you have more population that you can choose from, but it's sparse. You know you've got Oakland, San Francisco, you've got uh, Los Angeles, you've got San Diego, and you've got kind of Phoenix, and then everywhere else is pretty much uh, real low when it comes to the population rate and, and talking about high school football players. So the South is always going to produce more talent, so those schools down there are always going to be able to sign more talent. So in terms of top to bottom, the conferences no it's it's not close. I think you know really, the PAC 12 is, is not even competing with the the big ten. Uh, or even the Big 12, it's really a lot less. It's 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 pretty low on the totem pole, comparatively. Now, if you're talking about the very top of the Pac 12 and the talent level, maybe between the top five teams compared to the top five teams in the SEC, I think yeah, I think there's there's been some closing of a gap. I think that you know if you're looking at recruiting rankings, maybe not necessarily. But in terms of talent and looking at those players on the back end and when they get to Stanford and when they get to Oregon and Oregon State, I think, yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of talent there in the Pac-12 at the very top. And obviously SC is able to have a lot of talent. UCLA has had a better season than they've had in the past, so they're going to have a better class nationally. So yeah, I think at the top, there's definitely more competition there between the top conferences, Uh, but from top to bottom and you're considering the whole conference it's just never going to be the same you're never going to be able to compare and parallel uh, the west with you know the southeast
1: okay uh let's see this is Uh gerard given the number of athletes USC is recruiting and the low number of scholarship slots wouldn't it be likely that on the morning of signing day there will be more faxes from signed recruits than usc will have scholarships for if so what happens? Is it first come, first serve, or the coaches get back with bad news for the signees they can't take? That's from Terrien.
2: In that scenario, I think it would be first come, first serve. Uh, it's it, it's hard to know what's really going to happen on signing day because you do have some spots that are opening up, and you still have some kids that are there that have very high interest in USC. So you've got a pool of, you know, five, six guys and you're still only dealing with, you know, four spots, basically. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. And really, again, it's a little bit of a crapshoot for USC because, you know, they're going to be looking and, and putting some some chips on, you know, Eddie VanderDose and what happens with Eddie VanderDose on signing day. You know, Eddie VanderDose is, is not like a silent commit to USC. He's not a guy that necessarily I can say is USC's to lose at this point. He's going to officially visit Notre Dame this weekend, uh, the tundra of South Bend, and we're going to see, you know, if he's, if he's still interested in Notre Dame and, and you know, seeing what it would live, would be like to live uh, in the Midwest and, and to be in a place that, you know, obviously during the winter you kind of have to stay indoors. Um, and so, you know, kind of getting away from the West Coast, you know, Alabama's another school that he wants to visit February 2nd. Um, that's another school. You kind of wonder, you know, culturally, socially, if 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 Eddie's going to be able to fit in there. Um, there's those kind of things, those kind of questions. But at the end of the day, if it becomes, you know, a UCLA, USC thing, still you know there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons to think he could go to UCLA so i mean USC basically it's a gamble if they're holding a spot for him and there's no you know pre arrangement as to you know who we're getting who we're not um you know it's i don't think it's necessarily going to come down to Sean Robinson the 65 305 pounds uh, defensive tackle from Fort Worth and uh, Eddie Vanderdoes I, I think he's kind of it's, it's going to be one of those guys um, if they can get one of those guys, or it could be neither of those guys. Uh, I don't think there's necessarily going to be. Oh, we have two of these guys, and they both want to come in, and it's first come, first serve. I don't, I don't get the vibe that that's going to be how signing day is. There could be that situation maybe with a couple of players, a couple of positions, you know, obviously linebacker positions. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with Matthew Thomas. I think he's a guy that's definitely a signing day deal and a guy that's very interested in USC, but he also has two more official visits still to take. He's got Florida state this weekend and he's got Georgia the following weekend. That's going to be interesting to see if, you know, maybe that last visit to somewhere else is all of a sudden sways him to go there instead of USC. So USC, you know, stand there going, okay, who do we have as an option? Do they go back to a guy that maybe hasn't visited? You do still have two weeks here that you could bring in some kids, so it'll be interesting to see if they do maybe try to bring in some visitors later on because, obviously, some of the committed guys that said that they weren't going to take visits after the USC visit have done that. USC has to do the same thing. It's one of those things that – If the kids are looking around, USC has to look around. And so we're going to see if that develops and maybe there's some last-minute guys, a guy like maybe uh, Thomas Duarte, uh, the 6'4", 225-pound receiver slash athlete from modern-day high school who was going to officially visit USC this past weekend but didn't, got a lot of pressure from UCLA, doesn't even have a scholarship offer from USC, but he's committed to UCLA. So when he set up that visit, it was kind of a slap in the face to UCLA like, yeah, you know, I know I'm committed to you and I have a scholarship offer from you, but I still want to go see USC even though USC is not actually a, a legitimate option for me right now. <laughs> so <laughs> that that's one of those things that if USC becomes a legitimate option and they do offer them a scholarship, you have to think – He's going to seriously look at USC and take that visit. So there's still options there. It's just going to be one of those things that is it going to be, there's going to be so many guys that, you know, it's going to be this flood of, uh, you know, faxes that come in on signing day and USC is going to have to turn guys away. I, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's hard to really say right now.
1: Okay. Uh, Melvin had a question. I just saw on USAFootball.com that Kenny Bigelow has not enrolled early yet. And he put that in all capital letters. Um, why can't we use his spot for Kylie Fitz if Bigelow is not going to sign early, or is it not able to, or is it not able to, to complete all the educational requirements? What's going on there?
2: I don't know whether that's actually been offered to Kylie Fitz at this point. I don't think it has. When I spoke to him last Sunday, that was something that was not put on the table. He had an in-home visit with Edward uh assistant head coach, defensive line coach, recruiting coordinator, and that was never brought up. Kenny Bigelow's name was never brought up. An extra spot uh, in the early enrollee class was never brought up. Now, granted, I think it could be good logic just to not put that on the table because you don't want to, you know, hint at something maybe happening and then it doesn't happen. Because obviously, already there's some trust issues between Kylie Fitz and USC. So I could see, you know, maybe it's a smarter play not to really mention that unless it's a go. Sources keep saying that they think that Bigelow will get in, that it won't be an issue. We're not going to know for sure until Friday. That seems to be the day, the cutoff date, where we should have some type of resolution to this. Um, but at this point, everybody seems pretty positive, and they feel like Kenny Bigelow will get in early, and that's kind of been, I think, the plan for USC all along. Now, if he doesn't get in, does that mean that USC can try to get in Kylie Fitz at the last moment? I don't know for sure. You would think so. I mean, it's it's an early rolling spot, and and you know, will Kylie Fitz? take that opportunity will he go okay yeah okay cool I I mean you're gonna let me come in early now I've always wanted to be a Trojan yada 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 and he takes it or it's you know too little too late you know you guys lied to me you guys betrayed me and all these words that have been thrown out uh, by him and his head coach you know if he has those feelings still then he may say you know what uh, thanks, but no thanks. I'm I'm gonna you know continue to take my visits and sign on signing day. I think if he declines it, the good thing for USC is they know he's not coming. If he declines an early enrollee spot now, if Bigelow doesn't make it in, then USC sees the writing on the wall. He they have no shot at him whatsoever. At this point, we don't know. He's coming in on an unofficial visit. Uh, the week before signing day. He took his official visit to UCLA this past weekend. Um, I, I'm not sure what visit he has set up this weekend. I think it's Oregon off the top of my head. Um, so he's got a few visits that are kind of lined up here. You know, Notre Dame's still a school. He, he maybe want to try to get in to see uh, February 2nd. Uh, but, you know, there's still that unofficial visit that he has at USC that, that might be able to be one of those things that can turn him. He was definitely a Trojan fan growing up, and he was – said some pretty powerful things about you know his allegiance to USC, going through the recruiting process, and even when he decommitted. He kind of backed off of that a little bit after his UCLA visit, and he's kind of trying to make it like, well, you know, I grew up a USC fan and followed him, but I wasn't necessarily diehard. Well, that's a little bit of a change of tune from when he was committed and even before he committed about USC. So I think it is heart of hearts. He definitely wants to go to USC and has always dreamed about going to USC. But it's one of those things that has he been soured enough to at this point where it's just he can't, you know, kind of have that vision anymore of himself being in Cardinal Gold.
1: Uh, Melvin had a follow-up too. He's saying, uh, "Why do we even have verbal commitments if they don't mean anything? Why am I? Uh, what I'm asking is, why can't they just sign early if they are truly committed? What's the purpose of having a signing day?"
2: Uh, Preaching to the choir there, Melvin, Um, you know, verbal commitments don't mean a whole lot. Quite frankly, it's just hype. And I feel as though, you know, Lane Kiffin talks a lot about, oh, you know, it's preparation, it's not hype. But signing that class in July was really hype. It was really just the purpose of, you know, trying to create momentum. USC was preseason number one, and that kind of rode on that preseason number one, and you got those guys to kind of buy into the hype and become a class. The good part about it is that they build a chemistry and they build a bond throughout the recruiting process, and that kind of carries over. The bad thing about it is it doesn't really mean all that much. And when you have a season like USC had, it really starts to dislodge that, and you have so much fodder for so many different coaches that come in for in-home visits. They're still offering official visits. I think if USC would have won a national championship, you would see a lot less – Issue and I and I don't want to say there would be a lot less decommits because I don't know if that's true for a fact. Some of these decommitments that we've seen have kind of been a parting of ways. They really haven't been so much a decommitment. It's not like, oh, this kid doesn't like USC anymore. He wants to go somewhere else. That happened with Max Redfield. That definitely happened with Max Redfield. If USC... No, I I think there's definitely a better shot that they keep Max Redfield, especially him coming back on his official visit later in the recruiting process. You know, if you actually have some momentum off of a great season and you've shown that, hey, Lee Kiffin's going to be there, there's going to be stability, I think you start to see more stability with the class. But there have been some guys that have decommitted, guys like Eldridge Massington and Sebastian LaRue, which quite frankly, whether USC wins a championship or not, they're not a part of this class. So there are some guys that have left, and it's been just for the reasons that are more about USC – and less about those recruits. Whereas there are also kids that have left and decommitted, I think more because of the uncertainty and because of the bad season and because of the amount of negativity that has been able to be created by opposing college coaches. And you know what? You can't hate on it. You can't say, oh, those guys are bad, eh, those guys are evil, because you know what? That's the game. That's just the way it goes. When USC has a great season and UCLA falls flat in its face, you don't think USC is going, why in the world would you want to go there? We just beat those guys 50 to nothing. Are you crazy? I mean, that's just the game. That's how it goes.
1: Okay. Uh, let's see. Chris in San Pedro he's like, uh, usually, uh, as usual, I really appreciate the podcast and your answers. Could you explain how teams have 30-plus recruits when, when, when they can only really have 25? How does that work? What is the benefit? What is a gray shirt? And can you discuss the recruits' frame of mind when signing with a school that has way too many recruits already. Why would they want to do something like that? Is there any benefits the way things are going like that?
2: Well, this kind of touches on the question we already answered about oversigning. Um, what is the benefit to the recruit? Well, the recruit it, it all depends on position and where he sees himself getting an opportunity. I mean, if he's a really good player and he's coming at a position while they have maybe thirty guys that have signed, but he's the only you know, he's the third receiver and he feels like these other two guys, whatever. I'm better than these two guys, and it doesn't really matter. So it, it it's all it's all individual. It all depends on the recruit signing and, and whether he's part of a big class or a smaller class. Gray shooting is basically a kid taking a waiver and saying, I'm not going to sign this year. I can go to another school, pay for my education, and make sure that I'm up on my grades. Or I could just sit out a semester and then come in as a mid-year enrollee. Um, So he signs with the class but doesn't necessarily come in with that class. He can't be a part of the football team. He can't really work out with the football team. There's really no – you know, official direct correlation with the university. He has to sit out. He has to. You know, it's 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 a red shirt. Is you can come in, you can sign, and you are part of the football team. You practice. The only thing you, do, you don't participate in are games. Or gray shirt, you cannot participate in anything that's football. But you maintain your allegiance with that school. You maintain a spot and a future scholarship with that school.
1: Okay. Uh, this one is from Tim. Can we expect there to be any commitments prior to signing day, or are the reigning spots going to come down to the wire and actually be on signing day?
2: Good question. My hunch right now is it's going to be signing day. Wow. Um, you know, there's the possibility that uh, maybe there's a guy or, or, or two, like a Kylie Fitz situation, which you know, it doesn't actually come down to signing day. Um, obviously, if there was some movement with Kenny Bigelow or there was a change in plans there and, and Kylie Fitz decided to take an early enrollee spot, we would know that before signing day. Um, but even if, you know, he unofficially visits USC and and it just, you know, happens that he feels, you know, that need and, and that 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 feel to come back to USC, then, you know, he ends it right then and there. But right now it looks like all these guys are kind of talking about signing day and doing something on signing day. You know, at this point, ESPN's putting out there, you know, Hey, you can do this on TV and stuff. So now these kids kind of want to do it on signing day because it's a big deal and there's an event to be had and there's a tension and there's a lot of hype behind signing day. So that's kind of hard to turn down too. Everybody wants to be a part of signing day. Um, so I kind of think, that this is basically going to come down to signing day. And I think even USC to some extent probably wants to have a presence on signing day. They, you know, have have had all of these commitments. They've had these commitments for a while. You know, maybe they want their cake and eat it too. You know, they have the preseason hype of being the number one recruited uh, uh, ranking team. And then you go on signing day, maybe you have, you know, two or three guys commit to USC on signing day. Then it becomes a big deal for USC again, big statement. Great for PR going the spring ball that USC closed with, you know, Eddie VanderDose and Matthew Thomas and Quentin Powell and all these guys that are still left on the board. That would obviously be a big deal. So I can't, you know, even for the, for the school itself, there might be some benefit to holding off uh, with, with some of these commitments to signing day. But like we said, USC at some point, they, they really should know what's going on before signing day. And, and the problem is I don't know if you can really know. I don't know that you can be certain – of a verbal commitment. It's just so hard. I, I think it's just one of those things where Lane Kiffin just has to have a good read on what the kids are telling him. You know, I mean, we had last year Kyle Murphy and Andres Pete, and USC thought, you know, they're going to get one of the two, and it ended up they didn't get either. And luckily this year, what they, you know, with the safety position, we talked about this in earlier podcast, where it would be one of those things where, you know, maybe the safety position ends up being like that where they only really get Sua Cravens out of this big group of guys like, you know, uh, Leon third, III, uh, you know, Max Redfield, um, Tahan Goodman, you had all these great safeties, and, you know, they only end up with Sua Cravens as one of the top guys. That would have been, uh, you know, a real disappointment to a lot of people. So luckily they were able to get Leon McQuay. He's already on campus. So you got two five-star safeties at a position where you need to have some freshmen be able to come in and compete right away for playing time. We're going to see how that happens with the defensive line and the linebacker situation on signing day, because USC has got, you know, a handful of linebackers here in addition to Michael Hutchings, who's, you know, going to be with USC. He's going to sign with USC on signing day. And the defensive linemen where you know, all of a sudden you're down. to you know, basically Kenny Bigelow and, uh, and Toronto Prevo, Whereas before, you know, you had probably the best defensive line class in the country. So we're going to see how it shakes out. But for USC, they got to know. They got to have some type of certainty. Problem is, I just don't know how you do have that.
1: Right. It's tough. (laughs) Um, Uncertainty is the name of the game right now. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll see if anyone commits beforehand. But it could be, like Gerard said, a whole bunch of guys on signing day or not a whole bunch. Um, We will see. Let's see. The next one. You think USC could see a substantial number of preferred walk-ons added in this class. With the sanctions ending in two years, walk-ons will be in prime position to receive extra scholarships when the roster will be facing some pretty serious deficits in 2014 and 2015. That's Andrew and Thousand Oaks.
2: Well, yeah, 2015 class is the that first class that USC is able to bring in a full class. And so we're going to see how that develops and, you know, what USC can do uh, to try to bulk that class up as much as possible. But that's going to be an interesting class. It's going to be an exciting class because it's going to be that first class that really can take them back to 85. USC's done a good job with getting some really good walk-ons. I mean, they've had some pretty good walk-on talent come in. Is this class going to be a class where they try to, you know, concentrate on definitely bulking up numbers through walk-ons It's hard to say, Um, you you know, I, I I don't know if it's necessarily a guaranteed thing. I think obviously the walk-ons feel like there's, you know, opportunity there for playing time. Uh, I think more than other schools when you're down to 75 and you've got, you know, 10 more spots there. And obviously with injuries and just attrition, there's always going to be more opportunity. So there are some guys on the roster that are walk-ons that you see and you look at and go, you know, that could be a guy that down the road, here in in, in a year or so could definitely end up playing a lot for usc so um i think there's definitely more incentive for quality walk-ons to be coming on and there's a chance for that i just don't know if it's going to be a for sure or not
1: okay uh we have a voicemail question i wanted to to get to that one if we can here's here's that for you gerard
2: Hey Ryan uh, Gerard uh, this is Kyle up in uh, the Bend, Oregon but anyways I just had a couple questions for you guys. one, what was the vibe with Jalen Ramsey's official visit and two uh, for you Gerard you know what uh, you know what are your thoughts in regards to Eddie? It seems like he's kind of so so I guess I would be cautiously optimistic but just kind of want to get your take after his official visit this weekend and uh, our shot that we land him. Uh, Love the show, guys. Keep it going and fight on. I think cautiously optimistic with Eddie VanderDose's uh, recruitment is is a great way to look at it. Um, He's definitely, I think, come back to USC to some extent. I think he sees uh, a lot of the benefits to USC, not just on the field, but off the field. So I think that the official visit definitely benefited USC, but of course, you know, the official visit definitely benefited uh, for Max Redfield as well. But at the end of the day, it kind of became clear that he was going to go to Notre Dame. So you never really know. And I think with Eddie, you know, when he goes on these visits, and he admits this, he loves every school he goes to every time he visits. So it's one of those things where maybe you know the last school that really gets to talk to him and sit down with him and have that one-on-one and close with him ends up being the school that 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 finds him. So cautiously optimistic is about as good as you can do, I think, right now for Vanderdose. Um uh, What was the first part of the question? I, I'm I'm blanking on what oh, the first Jalen part Ramsey. of it was. Jalen Ramsey. What was that? Jalen Ramsey. Ramsey. What was the vibe of Jalen Ramsey with his official visit? The vibe was good. I mean, I didn't talk to Jalen directly about the visit. You know, I called him and he's not doing any interviews. It's kind of crazy for him right now. And uh, there's, you know, a lot of uh, kind of negativity around him just because everybody's kind of trying to sway him from that USC commitment. I think uh, speaking with his father, you know, his father glowed about the visit. He raved about the visit. He said that, um, you know, it was everything that they expected, and they'd been there quite a few times, so they were very familiar with, you know, the academic parts of USC and the people and kind of the social aspects of USC. Um, The main thing was kind of getting to know Clancy Pendergast and spending more time with him. I I don't know if they spent enough time with him. I, I didn't get the vibe that they necessarily connected with him. Um, they did get some X's and O's, and they did get some type of understanding of, you know, what's going on with, uh, with with the defensive back position from a schematic standpoint. But in terms of building that relationship, that may not come until the in-home visit that Clancy Pendergast has with uh, Jalen Ramsey Thursday. Um, the obvious hurdle and it's another hurdle. It's one of these things where USC's kind of done everything they can to almost lose Jalen Ramsey other than, you know, the T Martin situation which, you know, retaining him obviously helps, but they throw another hurdle out there with Marvin Sanders not being retained as defensive backs coach. And you know i don 't know that Marvin Sanders necessarily had the greatest relationship, or it wasn't one of those things where Marvin Sanders had actually recruited uh Jalen Ramsey uh, that's really been t martin, but it's one of those things where again, certainty and having some type of feel for what you're getting into when your position coach is kind of all of a sudden you know stripped away and you're going in with a new defensive coordinator, it's one of those situations where there's not necessarily that feel maybe of, okay, I know these coaches, I know their personality, I know how they like to coach, and I know myself as a player, you know, I feel okay with this situation. I think it just adds more uncertainty, and you've got Florida hitting them hard, you've got Florida State hitting them hard, and there's a little more certainty there. Granted, those coaches – have have seen some turnover as well. Both staffs have had new defensive coordinators. But the thing is, Jalen Ramsey had – a prior relationship with Jeremy Pruitt when he was at Alabama, then he went from Alabama to Florida State, that just continued. So that's really what got Florida State really in the mix. Uh, Florida State wasn't in it to that point. He wasn't going to take official visit to Florida State until Jeremy Pruitt came on board. And then with Florida, they lose their defensive coordinator, but they hired within. So they still maintains a relationship. Uh, With USC, you're talking about a new defensive coordinator, and now you're talking about uh, what looks to be um, a new defensive backs coach, and that's going to be – Clancy Pendergast. It sounds like they're going to bring in a linebacker coach and Pendergast is actually going to coach the defensive back. So it's just another hurdle. And and it's, it's one of those things you just kind of shake your head and go, man, I don't know how many, uh, I mean, they've got a lot of straws on that camel's back already. (laughs) You're just wondering if this is going to be the one that breaks it. I think as a school as, as a, as a university. If you take football out of the equation, Jalen Ramsey signs with USC all day, every day, twice on Sunday. But, the football aspect is still there and everybody's working on that. And, you know, the interesting thing is dad did say, you know, we want him to look at this school as if football wasn't a part of it, that he was just going to the school to go to the school. And I think if they stick with that, then USC is there. But again, you know, the football aspect is such a big deal. There is going to be influence. It's hard to really take that out of the, of the, of the equation. And so it's going to be one of those things where USC has to close. I mean, Pendergast has to come in. There has to be some, some certainty. There has to be some closure with the coaching staff and what the defensive coaching staff is really going to look like. And then Lane Kiffin has to come in and close. And that's going to be a big deal. It's going to be, you know, what does Lane Kiffin have to offer? You know, obviously he's on the hot seat. Everybody knows it. The recruits know it. But – You know, there has to be something about selling, you know, not just one coach and, hey, you're coming here for Lane Kiffin. You're not coming here for Lane Kiffin. You're coming to USC for all these other reasons, and even if Lane Kiffin's not there, there's going to be support there for the program, and you're going to see the program still be able to strive because they'll go and they'll get another good coach. It's one of those things that, you know, the the coaches – that really do a good job tend to they sell the university. It's not just about selling yourself, it's also about selling the university and and we'll kinda have to see if, if USC, the coaches that are there are selling university and not just themselves because, you know, coaches could come and go at all times. Lane Kiffin could end up winning uh, twelve games next season and then go to the NFL. I mean you just don't know how these things come and go. So really I think that's another reason why His family really wants him to look at the school and not necessarily just the program, but I feel it's just hard to not have some influences there when you're talking about football and you're talking about the relationships that you have with the people there at the school.
1: All right. Uh, A couple more. We got our buddy Jared. Two questions on Eddie Vanderdoe's. He wants to know how will baseball figure into his recruitment? And secondly, he said, uh, I read your story where – he mentions the three technique in a 30 or even a 50 front. Does that mean that it will likely be three down linemen and gaps versus having a, a true one shade nose guard.
2: Yeah, uh, I I think it's definitely, it's, it's a hybrid situation and and we kind of touched on that earlier. It still seems to be a one gap defense. I think you're going to see some different alignments and and you could see a true one shade. Um, I, I think that's, Definitely personnel issue. I I think if you want somebody that really controls that middle and pummels that center, you got to have a big guy. You got to have Terrence Cody. You got to have one of those big, you know, six four, three hundred and thirty pound type nose guards. And USC doesn't really have that anymore. So I think they want to use more quickness, and they still want to stay in the one gap and just use those three defensive linemen as really three, you know, defensive tackles. I I think those defensive ends that you have that are down linemen are really going to be. It's like having two, three techniques more than it is, you know, having just one three technique and then one one shape. So it's going to be kind of, a, like I said, a hybrid-type situation, and it might, you know, kind of evolve from the talent that they have. Um, when you looked at Cal last year and even the year before, uh, they used a lot of different alignments. actually even threw some 4-3 looks in there. Uh, they had some, you know, two, four, five looks. Um, a, a kind of a lot of different, you know, kind of alignments where it wasn't just, you know, three down linemen and certainly wasn't just the standard, you know, two-gap style defense, the traditional 3-4 that you saw way back in the days with the Steelers. I mean, shoot, even the Steelers have kind of adjusted a little bit since then. Um, so from that standpoint, yeah, I definitely see there's going to be some differences.
1: Okay, Gerard, we got one last question. It has to do with social media, and I just was uh, duped myself on the social media thing as we're recording. I, I'm looking at Twitter. And I see a VolQuest account, which is the Rivals Tennessee site. It's got a picture of Brent Hubbs on it, who's the publisher of the Vol- of VolQuest, saying that Jalen Ramsey, five-star uh, quarterback Jalen Ramsey, decommitted and uh, caused a, a brief firestorm before I looked at the account, and it wasn't the real VolQuest account. It was a fake VolQuest account. And so people are going, jumping off bridges, and then they come back <laughs> over. So social media is a big part of recruiting now, Gerard
2: unfortunately it's a huge part of recruiting and facebook not as much but twitter has definitely impacted uh it's definitely impacted recruiting and it just continues to impact recruiting i mean you have obviously the kids themselves that can speak freely on twitter sometimes you know to their own uh to their own demise <laughs> with some of the things that they say and you kind of get to see some character flaws Uh, with kids and the things that they say and the immaturity that's there. And you wonder, you know, know, if you were, you know, 16, 17 years old and you had Twitter, what kind of stupid things would you be saying? So, unfortunately, their social lives are a little more open to prying eyes um, and there's things that they say that probably they shouldn't. Uh, But I think even more of an impact is just the direct contact that fans and boosters have with recruits. Before Twitter and before Facebook – you didn't have that direct access and that easy access for fans to be able to just reach out to recruits. And there was a buffer there and it's a good buffer. And now you don't have that. Now you have fans begging and pleading kids to go to their schools and you have fans, opposing fans fighting over each other, uh, over a recruit. And you know, the kids are not really always smart enough to understand like don't retweet something because you're just encouraging it, but you get them encouraging, you know, these people to go back and forth and oh, your school sucks. Well, your school's going to have sanctions Well, your coach sucks, Well, your coach sucks too. And it's just this nonsense that you see over and over again. And so it's one of those weird things. It, 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 I don't know if I see a whole lot of positive to it, to be quite frank. I think that uh, there's a lot of negatives and there's a lot of stuff there that I just don't know how the NCAA is able to kind of, you know, wrap its arms around trying to regulate that direct contact that you have with these fans and these kids. And, you know, this is just what you see openly on Twitter, you know, what's going on with the direct messages and the kind of things that kids are being asked and being told and uh, maybe the impermissible benefits that are out there, um, you know, behind the scenes because these people now have direct access to these kids and they can talk to them uh, freely anytime they want.
1: Yeah. That, that was Harry's question. Uh, He wanted to know, Uh, if you could clarify what kinds of communications are are not allowed on social media between recruits and fans. And he said, specifically, I've seen lots of interactions over Twitter between fans and recruits, even some between current players and recruits. I thought this was not allowed. Or is it so hard to control that the NCAA just lets it go?
2: Uh, Yeah, I, I don't really know, to be honest with you. It's so new, and it's just blossomed so quickly, you know, Players are not allowed to comment on current recruits uh, as players for a team. So, you know, as a representation of that university, you're not allowed to say, "Oh yeah, this recruit is really good," or "Oh yeah, I know him." We came into that uh, that situation with Max Reddick when USC was technically recruiting Silas Red, and Silas Red was transferring from Penn State, and he was looking at various schools. Max Gwinnick had known Silas Red for many years uh, from Connecticut and was just talking about him uh, as a player and kind of what he knew about him, and so that was illegal. That was a secondary violation. Um, when you get to Twitter and you have dialogue between recruits, I guess it's not necessarily illegal because it's not illegal for a current player to talk to a recruit. Um, you know, especially if they have past ties, there's really not a lot of regulation with that. So, you know, technically, if uh, a current player is saying, hey, yeah, what's going on, blah, 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 and they have, you know, some type of conversation on Twitter, um, that's legal. It's more of, you know, when you have a player in a USC uniform and he's speaking basically for the university, he's kind of like a coach or a part of the staff where they can't talk about a recruit um, publicly to the media. So that's a little different situation, but in terms of the fan and recruit interaction, it basically goes down to, you know, if you're a booster, you're not supposed to have contact with recruits. You're not supposed to talk to recruits. Obviously, obviously, there's some boosters out there that are talking to recruits. You know, not all these fans are just fans. Some of these guys are giving money, I'm sure, to booster programs and are part of you know alumni clubs and what have you. So that's just illegal. But how do you, how are you able to you know regulate it? How are you are you able to you know watch over it? I, I don't know. And, and that's just a question that. I, don't, I just don't know how the NCAA is going to be able to be on top of Twitter and be on top of the conversations. I think at the end of the day, all you can do is investigate the actions and what happens after you know, somebody makes contact with a recruit on Twitter and says, hey, you know what, let me take you out to lunch. Let me uh, drive you down to this camp. And then you have to look into those actual actions and, and regulate those actions themselves.
1: Yeah, we see a lot of it, and you're really not supposed to. So if you're a big USC fan and you're there trying to convince recruit A or B or C to go to USC, or if you're a UCLA fan doing the same thing, um, you're not supposed to be doing that. And uh, I, we just haven't seen any kind of NCAA enforcement ever uh, from something like that, but it's true. I mean, that's, that's illegal contact in, in the eyes of the NCAA. You're not supposed to be doing that. But we see, like Gerard said, you'll see commits, uh, you know, or recruit uh, prospects that'll get tweets from you know five different schools. Like so, a Michigan fan is like, "Hey, you'd be great in you know maize and blue, and um, or whatever." And you know, like they they'll all kind of say that. Or is it maize and gold? If I, which one's maize? Yeah,
2: That's this the- past this past this past weekend, you had Michael Hutchings actually started a Twitter feed, SC official. Then you had Nico Fala, Michael Hutchings, and Khalil Rogers, and a couple of the guys that were on their official visit to USC tweeting about their official visit to USC and kind of giving play-by-play some things that were going on. And you had UCLA fans getting on that feed and you know giving a lot of negative stuff about the Sun Bowl and, oh, you guys suck, and you should not go to USC, and this back and forth, and it just, it's just nonsense. It's just pathetic. Why would you, as a grown man or even a kid of the same age, want to get on there and just go back and forth with the 17 year old kid. And he really has nothing to do with you. He has nothing to do with UCLA. He's on a USC official visit, but that's just kind of how it's become, you know, a a pastime almost it's like with YouTube comments, you know, somebody creates a YouTube video and you look at all the comments and it's 90% people telling them to go F themselves. You know, why, why would you even get on there and watch the video? Let alone would you spend time to write this paragraph commenting and just, you know, blasting this person for their YouTube video, it's just, it's just, I don't know if it's society or what have you, but in terms of how it was and how it's going to be, it's going to be interesting as far as the recruiting process goes. To me, it's just another reason why people are going to say, you know, we need an early signing period. You know, they need to just – kids need not to be out there. They need to be able to sign before they become these semi-celebrities where all of a sudden they've got 5,000 Twitter followers because everybody knows who they are because they've taken official visits, because they've been to the Army All-American game. They've been on national television. Let's try to head some of this off before it happens. I'm in agreement with that anymore. I mean, you know, if we could have cut some of this off – you know, the early signing period, you had the early enrollees and then you had maybe a few more guys like Steven Mitchell that were able to sign and we didn't have to even talk or worry about those guys. I know technically it's probably not good for business, but... To me, I don't know what kind of business you can build upon a bunch of stuff that's coming up on Twitter. I mean, kids not actually talking anymore to the media, to the people that actually are trying to get the story straight. Uh, you know, some of the people, obviously, you know, you have a lot of people that do stuff like the manti tail story. But the people that really want to get the information out there and the facts and be able to set the record straight, you're kind of going over that point and just doing it directly. And sometimes these kids don't know how to actually articulate what they mean and what they say, and that just creates more problems. So, yeah, it's become a whole circus.
1: All right, Gerard. Well, good stuff. There was a little ledge action happening during the middle of the podcast. There actually is some news that broke while we were taping. Tahan Goodman did commit to uh, UCLA. uh, Not, you know, wasn't unexpected. Uh, I did see some tweets about people saying, oh, that's a huge blow for USC. He put up three hats on the table, USC, UCLA, and Oklahoma – when it really wasn't – I didn't think USC was in on that one, but it's funny that he put a USC hat up there. I don't know what, what that was – that was for effect or what, but I thought that was kind yeah, of Yeah, that was
2: for effect. USC had not really been involved in his recruitment for uh, probably since October, I, I guess, you know, he never officially visited USC. Um, it just it, – he wasn't going to go to USC. I, I, I had him going to UCLA, I don't know, in May. I mean, I told people at, at the point where he was silently committed to USC at one point, which he silently committed to USC in late July. He was coming from the gridiron uh, passing uh, tournament from Orlando and actually uh, committed to USC silently. And everybody knew about it, and everybody was kind of wondering, how many guys can USC take in this class? Because at the point, they already had 18. You know, because Tarani Prevo had committed right around that same weekend. So everybody was kind of trying to figure out, okay, what's, what's going to happen here? You know, you got Tahon Goodman who wants to go ahead and commit and, and come out publicly. There was some stuff there where I think his mom didn't want him to commit publicly. She wanted him to take his official visits. He only ended up taking, I think, two official visits. I don't think he really got around to, get to see any more uh, schools. And, you know, from my standpoint all along, I just didn't think he had the personality for USC. I think he's definitely a UCLA-type guy. And I thought even if he publicly committed to USC – he was still going to end up at UCLA just for whatever reason. So there you go. My crystal ball actually worked one time.
1: It did. Very nice, Gerard. All right. Well, thanks again for uh, coming on the show and sharing all your recruiting insights. Uh, I did want to let people know if you want to hear Gerard in person, not just on the podcast. Uh, Thursday night, Trojan Club of South Orange County in Mission Viejo. Uh, It's Thursday night, January 24th from 530 to 730. It's at the Roy, Arroyo Trabuco Golf Club in the Grand Ballroom. And uh, you can email me, podcast at podcast.uscfootball.com, if you want some more information on that. But we're going to have a uh, pre-signing day and spring football preview. Uh, Gerard, myself, and Dan Weber will all be there speaking, and they'll have heavy appetizers and drinks and stuff like that. So it should be a lot of fun from 530 to 730 down to Mission Viejo. Again, email me, podcast at podcast.uscfootball.com. If you want some more information, you can uh, come up to Gerard, ask him a question while he's up there on the podium, and then what people really love to do, Gerard, is come ask you a question alone afterwards. <laughs> I don't know why that is, but they,
2: they'd rather they like ask to you gang a, up on me afterwards. Yeah. Like nobody wants to. I think nobody wants to ask a dumb question, so everybody's kind of afraid to come forth and and really put themselves out there and say, yeah, you know, I want to know about this guy or that guy. So afterwards, I you know, and I don't know how much time we're going to have for questions. Actually, to be honest with you. Uh, but usually what happens is I give my spiel and talk and, you know, anybody have any questions and everybody just looks around the room like they don't know anything about recruiting. And then afterwards I get usually a gang of about, you know, 12, 13 people that just kind of crowd around me and it's like uh, I'm freestyle rapping or something for people. It's kind of <laughs> weird. Nice.
1: All right. Well, thanks again, Gerard and uh, everyone else. Thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle podcast. Hope we'll see you out there in Mission Viejo if you're local, or a South Orange County person. If not, We'll be back on Monday with our regular version of the Peristyle podcast, and I'm sure next week sometime we'll do a Trojan Blast recruiting podcast as well. So thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you all next week.